You're listening to the Restoring Hope Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Till. Welcome to the Restoring Hope Podcast, your weekly no-fluff dose of inspiration to believe that hope is never lost, faith is not dead, and a better tomorrow is coming. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Restoring Hope Podcast. This is episode number 11. Today, we're talking about hope and justice. You know, this really is a tag, uh, just a continuation of the thought from last week's episode. So if you haven't had a chance or if you're just kind of jumping in with me uh, on this new endeavor of what does it look like for us to cultivate a movement of hope for the world, um, boy, I would really encourage you to start episode one. We're, we're just building on themes here. Um, you're fine to listen in and wherever you're at, but uh, episode one is where it all begins. And so we're just building on themes. We're building on ideas and topics. It's a progression of thought. It is a journey that we are going through together. So if you've missed any episodes, I would encourage you to go back and try to listen to them. Not every episode is a direct relationship to uh, the previous, um, but I think it's just helpful for us to go on the journey. We don't want to miss anything along the way. If you ever go on a... Um, well, you ever go traveling, you go on a journey. Um, we want to we wanna see everything. If you're reading a good story or a good book, um, or you're watching a really good movie, you don't want to miss the plots. You don't want to miss uh, the, the, the highlights along the way. Uh, if you ever get up from that movie or you, you skip a chapter in a book and you're like, what happened? <laughs> or maybe you're just watching a really bad movie <laughs> and you notice all the plot holes in it. Um, you know, and you're like, how did I get here? Um, well, anyway, you get the idea. And so, uh, last week's episode is, in, is important because what we talked about is this idea that we need a set of shared facts, a set of common truth that we as a society, as humans, uh, must find and pursue together because it is on that is what actually allows us to sustain hope. And uh, without shared truth, without shared facts, um, we are unable to actually determine a hopeful future. And this is important because it is the outworking of what you are seeing today. Um, what you are watching occur and what you're experiencing in your life um, on a global scale and maybe even interrelationships with your family members your friends, your coworkers, uh, what we see being played out in our political system today is actually an inability for us to agree upon set facts and truth. And so when our political ideologies, um, when our conspiracy theories, um, when our own even uh, admittedly religious ideologies and dogma get in the way of seeing truth, um, or when we deny uh, true things and tr- deny facts, what begins to happen is that the very baseline for what makes us a society and work and function starts to erode away. Because now what one person claims um, is another person's theory um, or complete disbelief. And so if we just carry that through into a sense of just there are no shared truths in this world 
and we're holding on to those ideologies that don't allow us to, to discover and to change over time, including our thinking, then we can't actually discover truth anymore. And so now it's a fight for truth, um, which honestly, I think has always been kind of a part of our history. We're always trying to f- fight for truth. What, what is a true thing? But, um, you know, what happens is that if we can't agree on on some fundamental principles in our life and in this world, then how can we ever pursue hope? And that's what we're finding. We're, we're finding hopelessness and despair. Uh, the idea that... Um, that we're living in a pandemic. Um, I almost hesitate to use the word uh, because even that has, depending upon who you are and the circles that you listen to or that you're a part of, the very word pandemic may trigger you into suggesting that I am somebody else, uh, that I'm a threat, that um, my truth is um, is been persuaded or compromised even. The fact that we can't agree on a virus that has overtaken this world has killed has killed many people um, over a million worldwide. We're on our way to a half a million, right within our own right within our own country in the United States. Let's just think about that for a second. A half a million people. Can you even fathom it? Uh, can you put that number? I mean, you could write the number down. You've seen it on the screen, but. Can you actually fathom a half a million people uh, deceased this uh, within a year's time from one singular cause? And by all estimations, that is likely undercounting the true cost. Uh, we're, we're living in a pandemic, and yet we've disagreed on whether we should even call it that or not, or what, or, or even if it's real or not. And so how can the world unite together to restore hope for the world and for others if we can't even get that right? So you, you see my point. And this is why this is important for today, because something else has been happening in the news um, recently. And so this is a bit more of a timely kind of episode. And what we have been seeing occur within our own country, here in the United States, but also in places as far away as Russia and Hong Kong within the last few weeks, and even as of yesterday of me recording this, is that the world has been crying out. They're crying out for justice. And we see this um, through protesting. We see this uh, through demonstration, through um, uh, different means, even reporting, journalism. But the world is crying out. They're hungry. They're hurting. The world wants justice. They want justice from oppression. They want justice from systemic inequality. They want justice from all forms of prejudice and discrimination. And they want justice from government corruption. I don't think anybody would disagree with these things, would we? Now, granted, these are contentious issues, depending upon where you have traditionally fallen or where you are even today in your own political ideas um, or even notions of what is a thriving life, the way to move forward. Perhaps your ideology 
Your belief system suggests and persuades you to believe it in one way or another. But this idea of justice is really this this declaration of what is right over what is wrong. This is why we have court systems. This is why we have uh, policing to help enforce what is just, what is right, over a determination of what is wrong. Now, granted, we, there, we could agree on, on some laws that I think are just makes sense. Um, we agree that murder is wrong, but sometimes people get away with it. We could agree or disagree on laws of, for example, abortion. But at the end of the day, to declare what is true and what is right over what is wrong requires the word I just stated, and that is truth. To declare what is truly right, or what the Bible refers to as righteous, requires a foundational fact. It requires truth. This is why last week's episode is so important, is because if we can't agree on truth, then how can we agree on what is right over what is wrong? How can we agree on what is righteous over unrighteous? How can we agree or even pursue justice if we can't even agree on what is unjust? Justice is, is really the language of the Bible. Justice is used many times from the Old Testament to the New Testament. We see this concept, this idea, this notion of justice from the very beginning pages of the Bible all the way to its end. Justice is the language of the Bible. Depending upon the version of the Bible that you are reading from, you may not know this, but the word itself, justice, is used at least about 150 times between the Old Testament and the New. In some cases, it's, it's beyond that, up to like 170 uh, from one of the translations I, I cross-referenced. Its accompanying word, righteous, is used over 200 times. So already, th- this word justice and righteousness is a common word. If you are uh, a Christian, a person of faith who has read the scriptures, you will encounter this word quite frequently, and you'll be aware of that. Justice righteousness. This is the language of the Bible. If you're okay with it, I'd like us to look at a couple of passages of scripture um, just to illustrate this point further and to illustrate for us why the idea of justice is so important for us if we're going to be those who are committed to restoring hope and cultivating a better tomorrow for others. I want to look at one passage from the Old Testament and then one from the New. Uh, the one I want to look at is out of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 16, uh, verses 18 through 20. The book of Deuteronomy is, is uh, a lot of an uh, instruction booklet that really uh, was given to Moses as they were uh, really out in the wilderness preparing to enter into the promised land. This is really a, almost like a, an initial <laughs> law book, rule book for the community of faith in which they were to follow. 
there's a lot of speak of justice in this book, actually, but I want to look at one particular. Again, it's chapter 16, beginning in verse 18. And this is about setting up judges and people who are to um, enact justice and righteousness and truth uh, for the community. It says this, and again, these are the words uh, that Moses wrote, but what he, what he says is also uh, divinely inspired by God. And so this is quoting from God himself. Appoint judges and officials for yourselves from each of your tribes in all the towns the Lord your God is giving you. They must judge the people fairly. Let me stop for a second. Moses is addressing a group of a million people or more who came out of the exodus um, from Egypt. And they all came from the various 12 tribes of Israel. And so he's referring to different tribal uh, people, of course, to set up their own judges within their own tribes. In some sense, uh, some people would say even our modern day democracy was kind of built on this kind of same notion, this idea of we don't have tribes, but we have statehood. And this idea that each one is going to set up a set of, of, uh, of judges, really, based on uh, this kind of concept that these localized judges will begin to then uh, rule over the local people, right? But under a set of governing or federal laws, right? So this idea of federalism. Well, again, that, that might be, that's a, a lesson for another day, but I just want to kind of show the connection. And so he goes on and he says, you must never twist justice or show partiality. Never accept a bribe for bribe, bribes blind the eyes of the wise and corrupt the decisions of the godly. Let true justice prevail so you may live and occupy the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And so what we see here in this particular passage is this idea, this notion that God is really inspiring Moses, who then is, of course, telling the people, instructing them to set up these local judges, these just individuals, and then warning them to say, you must judge them fairly. Who says the Bible or life isn't fair or supposed to be fair? Uh, God's word says, we are to judge one another fairly. And then he says, don't twist justice or show partiality. This is very common for us as we think about, uh, this would make sense and of course sounds just right up our alley when we're calling for justice from systemic inequality or forms of prejudice or discrimination. This is the, this is the language of Moses. He's saying for us to not to judge or show partiality. Don't accept a bribe. In other words, corruption. For bribes or corruption blind the eyes of the wise and corrupt the decisions of the godly. And let true justice prevail. So you may live and occupy in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Friends, if we believe that God is sovereign, if we believe that God is good, and that he has anointed our land, if he has given us a place to live, if we want to believe that this nation, our nation, is under God and has been given to us. That if we wish to remain in it, then we must choose to pursue justice fairly. Justice is the language of the Bible. It is the language of Moses. Okay, I want to I take one other look at another passage, and we're going to go to the New Testament. This, we find, is in the book of Luke. 
And uh, this is Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry. He has come back from his temptation. He's uh, in his early 30s, and he now returns. And he is about to begin his formal ministry that everyone is familiar with, the miracles, the teachings, the healings. And he walks into a local synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown. And he's there for, um, for, for worship. And he's invited to read a passage from Scripture. And at that time, of course, they didn't have the New Testament. It was just the Old Testament or what was commonly known as Torah. And he picks it up. And this is in Luke chapter 4. You can read the account starting in verse 14. Um, and he picks up this, the, this scroll of Isaiah from the Old Testament. And he unrolls it and he finds the place where it is written. And this is now verse 18. And he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Okay, so that's a quote out of Isaiah that Jesus reads in in the synagogue. And he reads it in the first person. It's also written in the first person. But he's reading it in the first person. And we can affirm that because the following verse in verse 20, it says this, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. And with all the eyes looking at him, which by the way, normally when you read something, you might pontificate on something briefly in synagogue. He then begins to speak and he says this, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And that's all he said. So he uses this passage from Isaiah, which is about justice. It is the language of justice. It is the language of the Bible. It is the language of Moses. It's the language of the prophet Isaiah. And now it is the language of Jesus who says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to send, he has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released Again, justice, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, justice, righteousness, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. This is his mission. This is his purpose, is to bring justice and righteousness to the world. Justice is the language of Jesus. And therefore, it is safe for us to say that justice is the language of God. This is his will, God's will for you and for I, and that we pursue justice. Justice, not just for ourselves and to fight for it and to, to, to speak up for it and to demand it amongst others and to root that and ground it in a common truth even if it means we have to kind of break apart some of our old presuppositions and and examine our own ways because not all of us are pure. (laughs) And so we must find what is pure and what is good and right before God and say, then what is it that is just and right? And how does that not just benefit me, but then to be those who cultivate justice for others who fight and ask and request and lead and rule with justice for all.
This is God's will. This is the mission of Jesus. And Jesus isn't just going to miraculously do it, although he will on his final day, in his final coming. But he invites us to join him in that mission and in that purpose. Restoring hope requires speaking the language of truth and of justice. Well, thanks for listening this week to the Restoring Hope podcast. I'm Matt Till. You know, until next time, remember to keep the faith and to inspire hope in others. A better tomorrow is coming. Coming.